Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am just the luckiest man to be alive. I love you guys so much. It is a blessing to be your pastor and to be in worship with you today. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I've started a new sermon series entitled Animal Kingdom. Honestly, I've never heard anybody preach specifically on animals. There really uh, are very, very few scholarly theologies written from a perspective of creation and and, and God's uh, pouring into the animal kingdom. So uh, we're kind of in uncharted territory, but it makes sense around here because most of us live so very, very close to animals. I love animals. I love church. When those two things come together, I get really excited, uh, which reminds me of the very last time I was at Glendale Baptist Church, like the old, the old Glendale Baptist Church over in Rosewood when Brother Richard was still alive. Uh, I was there for a funeral, and God bless that family. It was an important moment, a funeral, and Brother Richard did a marvelous job preaching that funeral, um, and all that is, 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 is just true. Um, but, y'all, that day, there was a squirrel loose in the sanctuary, and so it was the strangest mix of like, you know, being really sad and serious and also thinking this is the most awesome thing. I've, I mean, it was because I'm kind of like that seventh grade boy. I got, I just thought that was the funniest thing ever because the squirrel, like it's this big sanctuary and the squirrel would like pop out like in a hole in the ceiling, like up there, it'd just like pop out and shake its tail just so everybody would see. Like this squirrel knew what he was doing. He'd pop out and everybody like notice him and then he'd disappear and then like pop out, boom, over there. And then he would like pop out and run. And, and Brother Rich would just preach like nothing was happening. And this squirrel was just like ever just running. He would run across the aisle. He'd run across the pew. And then like my favorite moment, there was this whole pew of, I'm sorry, senior ladies. It's like this whole pew of like old ladies or like old church ladies. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, if I was a squirrel loose in church, that would be my pew, you know, because, because, and sure enough, like that squirrel, like he just knew, he knew, he knew which pew had the old ladies on it. He knew that would be extra funny. And he picked just the right moment and he popped out over here and he ran across and he got on that pew with the old ladies and ran all the way across them, like across the old ladies, wigs were flying, purses were flying, (laughs) women are screaming. It was so, I mean, it's like, you just think, This is why we come to church. This is so awesome. This is just so awesome. Brother Richard never looked up. He never missed a moment of the sermon. It it was just crazy funny, y'all. I mean, and and awful, but but it's just so funny. And and then at the end, the family was going to leave like with the casket. And they went like at the, you know, at the front of the aisle and we're going to make the long walk up the aisle. And like that squirrel just like knew. And so the squirrel at that point, like popped out in the back of the church. He went to the aisle and just charged them. I I mean, like, I mean, like this was like a squirrel cartoon or, or, I mean, or like, I mean, just squirrel had amazing comic timing. Uh, it was just awesome. They said he came to every church service. He came on time and, uh, no, I mean, sounds like, like a turtle man up. I mean, like they need the turtle man to go get that squirrel out of there, but it was just the craziest thing, which brings me to today's question. Can animals sin? Because that squirrel, like that's gotta be the devil's work. I mean, you know, to, to disrupt worship and terrorize church people, you know, I mean, so much irreverence. I mean, made me irreverent because I'm watching a squirrel. Uh, I mean, that's got to be the, I mean, the devil had to smile. I mean, 
So that's the question I want us to think about today. Can, can animals sin? And, and for most of us, our first response is, of course not. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, animals don't sin. But, but the answer in Scripture is probably more complicated than, than, than you realize. For one thing, in Genesis chapter 6, right before Noah's flood, when it says that God was sorry that he had created everything, and he said everything, one of the specific verses there says that uh, everything in all creation had corrupted its way. Like, not just people, but, but that everything in creation had corrupted its way. It, it suggests at that point that somehow the animal kingdom was as accountable for sin as the humans. It's an interesting part of the passage. At the end of Noah's flood, God makes a covenant not just with the people, but with every living thing. Interesting. You know that at the Exodus, when God appeared at Mount Sinai, God's presence was thick on the mountain, that everybody was forbidden to approach his holiness. And so there was a boundary set up so that any person or animal that crossed that boundary would, would have to be put to death. So literally it said if an animal were to wander across that boundary, you'd have to shoot it with arrows. You had to kill it. Uh, as if animals were accountable for that holiness of God. I, I think that's interesting. In the book of Jonah, which we read last, last year now, uh, the book of Jonah, when there's a great revival in the city of Nineveh, do you remember what happened to the animals? They fasted and wore sackcloth which just seemed weird at the time. But think about that. I mean, they fasted and they wore sackcloth as if they were repenting too. I'm just saying, you know, there's some parts of scripture that make some of this really, really kind of more interesting than, than I first thought even. In the book of Colossians, it says that when Christ makes perfect the redemption of everything, and it says everything, that he would literally bring about new life, recreation. He would, he would be redeeming the life of every living thing, everything in heaven, everything on earth, I mean, in everything. So the book of Colossians makes it absolutely clear that the animal kingdom is going to participate in our redemption. So if they participate in our redemption, do they participate in our sin? That's the question today. And for that, go to Romans chapter 8. Let's dig into this passage here, and then we'll talk about this question. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is, again, one of my favorite chapters in, in Scripture. And this is the place where it talks about how creation suffers because of our sin. Read with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Verse 19. For all creation, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that 
all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. All creation is waiting for redemption. So what about the animals? Uh, As a case in point, I want to introduce you to a great white shark whose name is Bruce. If you've ever seen Disney movie Finding Nemo, this is Bruce the shark. I just want to play a little bitty clip, if, if we can, a little clip from Finding Nemo. This is Bruce. Bruce leads a, a support group for sharks who are trying to become fish-friendly. So this is a meeting of the fish-friendly sharks from the movie Finding Nemo. This is Bruce. Take a look. <gasps> Hello. Well, hi. Name's Bruce. It's all right, I understand. Why trust a shark, right? (laughs) So, what's a couple of bites like you doing out so late, eh? Nothing. We're not doing anything. We're not even out. Great. Then how'd you morsels like to come to a little, a little get-together on heaven? You mean like a party? Yeah, yeah, you're right. A party. <laughs> what do you say? Well, oh, I love parties. That sounds like fun. You know, parties are fun, and it's tempting, but we can't because... Oh, come on, I insist. Okay. Anchor, chum. There you are, Bruce, finally. We got company. Well, it's about time, mate. We've already gone through the snacks, and I'm still starving. We almost had that little feeding frenzy. Oh, come on, let's get this over with Right then, the meeting has officially come to order. Let us all say the pledge. I am a nice shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends, not food. Except stinking dolphins. Dolphins? Yeah, they think they're so cute. Oh, look at me, I'm a flipping little dolphin. Let me flip for you, I know something. Now, do you all have your friends? Got mine. <laughs> How about you, chum? Oh, well, I um, seem to have misplaced my uh, friend. It's all right, chum. I had a feeling this will be a difficult step. You can help yourself to one of my friends. Oh, thanks, mate. A little chum for chum, eh? I'll start the testimonies. Hello, my name is Bruce. Hello, Bruce. It has been three weeks since my last fish. On my honour, or may I be chopped up and made into soup? You're an inspiration to all of us. Amy. Sorry. Ow. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Are you okay? Ow, ow, I'm ow. so sorry. Hey, you really clocked me there. You want bleeding? Oh. Ow, ow, ow. Dory, are you okay? Oh. oh. That's good. Intervention! Just a bite! You are! Together, mate! Fish and friends, not food! Food! I'm having fish tonight! Remember the steps, mate. That's enough of that. Y'all see how that turns out. Now, 
it, it's a funny, I think that's really funny. That clip is funny because that is precisely how animals don't act. You understand that? Like, he's this shark who, who has this pledge, you know, fish are friends, not food. I am a shark, not a mindless eating machine. Uh, he's struggling, of course, uh, against his nature. He's struggling not to eat fish. He's, he's struggling to change his ways. And again, this is exactly how animals do not behave. So if the question is, can animals sin? We have to take very, very seriously the, the actual nature of the animal kingdom, but also everything that the Bible says about animals, but also everything that the Bible says about sin. So actually, what is sin? What is sin? And, and there are many different ways to define it from scripture. Romans says that to sin is to fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, God has uh, a standard. God has a, a target and, and we continually fall short of that. So, so the question would come, can animals fall short of God's standard? I, I think the book of James probably makes it more simple. The book of James says, whoever knows what is right and doesn't do it, that person sins. That's what James says. So whoever knows what is right and then doesn't do it, that person sins. I think that's the verse that makes it most clear that animals don't sin for that simple reason of they can't know. They don't know what is right. They don't know. All they know is, is what it means to be them, what it means to be an animal. You understand? So sharks eat fish. They just do. They don't worry about it. They don't try to cut back. You know, they don't try to, you know, twice a week have a salad. You, you know, they don't do any of that. Uh, human beings were the only creatures in all of creation that have this ability, this consciousness, this, this moral agency. You understand? We can understand right from, right from wrong. We can somehow be made aware of God's standard and the fact that we fall short. We said last week that we are created in God's image. And I think part of having this image of God is this capacity to understand what God wants from us and then to make a choice. So James says very clearly, whoever knows what is right to do and they don't do it, that's the definition of sin. That's the definition of sin. My dog, Augie, has good days and bad days. And there are days where I'm saying, oh, you're such a good dog. You're a good girl. She's daddy's good girl. She's a good girl. And then sometimes Casey walks in and says, bad dog. You understand? I mean, but honestly, I don't know. For one thing, she doesn't speak English. We're just going, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's just looking at us like. You know, she poops on the rug. She looks at me like, you know, I think that's more your problem than mine. I mean, and it is. That's more my problem than hers. I mean, you know, she just sort of does that sort of thing. And so in, in all of creation, we have to recognize that human beings are really the only creatures with this capacity to sin, this capacity to go against the standard of our maker. However, Romans chapter 8, the passage we've read, says some really interesting things about the animal kingdom and sin, but it's not the animal sin. You understand? The, the, the important principle to understand is that the animal kingdom is corrupted as a consequence of human sin. Go back to Genesis. Read the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, it, it changed creation. 
things were sort of shifted. Things became uprooted from the, the standards and the intentions of the, the creator. Now, understand, in Romans chapter 8, uh, the plight, the present state of everything that God has made is described in certain terms. And all of this as a consequence of human sin. We have really messed up the planet. I mean, we have really messed up the world, and it is a consequence of our sin. Look at verse 20 in Romans chapter 8. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Against its will. So in other words, yes, the animal kingdom is corrupted. And Genesis chapter 6, when it says that the, the way of every living thing was corrupted, understand, that's absolutely true, except that it's against the will of the animal kingdom. They didn't do it. it it's not the animal's fault that the world is so messed up. It's not the animal's fault. And for that matter, according to Romans chapter 8, it's not really God's fault either. God created everything good. And as we read last week, I mean, when God created it, it was very good astonishingly good, very good. But something has happened. Something dreadful has happened. And we're the ones who made it happen. Now in Romans chapter 8, if you pay attention, you'll notice that Paul describes the present state of creation. And, and, and the important thing to recognize is that there's sort of two things going on. There are two words that he applies to creation. The first one is futility. In the New Living Translation, it's the verse, verse 20, that says everything was subjected to God's curse. Paul's word there is, is, is futility. In other words, things are somehow futile now. It's futility. Things are no longer connected to purpose. In other words, something has gone absurdly wrong with the world. Now, you don't have to be any kind of rocket scientist to recognize this. Something's off. Something's off. Now, we see it and we can observe it in creation. And the funny thing is to watch non-believers try to explain what, you know, why it is that everything is off. You know, they got all kinds of you know, theories and, and horrible stories about why everything is off. But the scripture tells us exactly why everything is off. And make no mistake, something is wrong with creation. Something is absurdly wrong. This is not the world as God intended it to be. I mean, if he created it good, very good, astonishingly good, something's wrong now. Something's wrong. It's subjected to futility to purposelessness. There's just this sense that you step out in the world and it's still so beautiful it'll break your heart. I mean, the world is just a beautiful place and yet, and yet something's off. There's just something off. If everything was intended to live in, in the harmony and beauty and fellowship of the creator, something is off now. Creation is subjected to futility. Something's gone absurdly wrong. Now, we can see that plainly in human life. You can recognize that. You live that. You understand that often your life just seems pointless. It just seems pointless. You work and you work and you work and you earn and you earn and you earn and then somehow you don't have anything to show for it. 
Or you work and you work and you work at relationships and you can be in a room full of people and still feel as lonely as if you were all by yourself. It's just this futility. Everything is just kind of pointless and and dark sometimes. It just looks bleak. And we can't always understand why or explain why. But Romans 8 explains why. I mean, something has gone absurdly wrong with the world. And it is a consequence of human sin. The passage says, against its will, creation was subjected. In other words, man, creation didn't have any choice in this matter. It was not the animals that fell away from the creator. It was us. But we are those created in the image of God. It was, it was us human beings that were given the task of, of being stewards and, and caring for the earth. And, and once we fell, I'm telling you, we took everything with us. We took it all with us. Futility. Something has gone absurdly wrong with the world. It's not supposed to be this way. You know, a couple of weeks ago, one of those really, really cold nights. If y'all know Don Harris, my dad is really a, he's just gloomy and pessimistic. He's a friendly, wonderful man. But my dad always kind of looks on the dark side of everything. And my dad always says, if he's going to have a calf born on his farm, it'll always be born on the coldest night of the year. That's my dad. So, and, and it's true. I don't understand my dad. Um, but mom and dad had a, a baby llama. They have llamas now. And so, and so they had a baby llama born on the coldest night of the, of the year, and it froze. It's just the saddest thing ever, just the most beautiful brown little llama that lived one night and then the very next night it froze in the field. It just froze. And you're just thinking, why does that happen? Like in the world that God has made, why would something like, like, like why? Like that llama, you know, it, you know, apparently, you know, we understand that God formed it and God made it in its, in its mother's womb and, and God loved it and, it and it praised its maker perfectly. I mean, it never sinned. It was innocent. It was completely innocent and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And, and yet why? Like why? Just its, its mother was still timid and wouldn't bring it into the barn. And so that llama just laid out there and, and, and froze in its place. It, it lived, what, 30 hours? You know, and there's just something in me that says, that's just not right. That's, that's not fair. That's just, that's, that's like futility. Like why would anything just be created to, to, to live like that and then just, just die? It's, it's pointless. Did God really just create that animal to live 30 hours and then freeze to death? That's... Man, the other thing I would point out are, um, I think they're called black vultures. Uh, they have been coming up from South America, and they're now in, in our area. I never heard of them. I've heard of vultures and buzzards, and I know that they eat dead things, and that's all good. I mean, something needs to eat the dead things. Something needs to get the dead things out. You know, I, I get that. So they have a place in the food chain, and I understand all of that. But, the, but this, this particular kind of vulture that's been coming up from South America, now it's in our area, they eat live animals. Like live animals. And so a couple of summers ago, there was a calf in the field behind our house and it came walking out of the woods and and it just had flesh hanging off of it. It was horrible. And these giant, giant vultures were literally pecking the calf while it was alive. They were literally eating the flesh off of its body while it was alive. Now that's just twisted. 
I mean, that's just really strange and, and cruel. I mean, that poor calf, that poor baby animal just literally being eaten alive by buzzards. You understand, something's gone absurdly wrong. And, and we could all give examples. I mean, the animal kingdom suffers. And the whole point is the animal kingdom is innocent. This is innocent suffering. You know, we deserve our suffering, a lot of it. We bring it on ourselves. We are sinners. But the rest of creation, the trees, the birds, all of the animals, I mean, the environment suffers because of us, and it's absurd. It's innocent suffering, but understand, against its will, it's been subjected to this suffering, to this futility, because something has gone absurdly wrong, and that something that's gone wrong is you and me. We have sinned. We have chosen to rebel against our maker, and it has brought incredible ruin to all of creation. Our sin has consequences in the natural world. The other, uh, the other word that Paul uses, uh, or the concept that he uses in Romans 8, is this concept of travail. What is travail? It's a fancy word. It's a, it's a medical word for what? What's travail? Nobody knows or nobody's talking. What's travail? Travail is labor, like a woman in labor, like a woman having a baby. A woman in labor is, is said to be in travail. Maybe it's an old word and you don't know it, but, that, but that's the word. The word is travail, and it has to do with a woman in labor. Let me go back. Let me read it to you again. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Against its will... All creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in travail, you understand? Has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. What's he saying? It's not just that creation is now subjected to futility. You can say that everything around us, including all of the animals, they're in this state of travail. They're suffering. There's pain involved. There's pain involved with nearly everything. But it's considered to be travail. Now, that's the fun, I say that's the funny thing. I never actually had the baby. But, 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 but the amazing thing about, about the birth of a child is that it, it is born into the world in incredible pain. And all the mamas said, amen. amen. Yeah. It's incredible pain. It's just incredible pain. But for the most part, she doesn't remember it. Like, at what point does she forget? The moment they lay that baby in her arms. You know, when that kid's 12 years old, she's not still saying, I remember you. I remember you. Man, I remember 13 hours in travail over you. And you say you need new shoes? You know, actually, that sounds like something my mama would have said. But, but most of the time, most of the time, you, you don't, it's not a factor because the point is something wonderful is to be born at the end of all the pain. So it's not so much the same to say that the pain is worth it. It's just to say that on the other side of it, you hardly even think of it anymore. Because what is born out of the pain is just so absolutely wonderful. 
And this is the analogy that Paul uses with creation and everything that God has made. At the present moment, there is a lot of pain. And I would say there's, there's an overplus of misery. I mean, it's just worse than it seems like it ought to be. It, it's, just, it's just incredible. And it's just more than, than even makes sense. It, something's gone absurdly wrong, as I've said. And the level of pain and suffering in this world is just, is just absurdly out of proportion. And it's not distributed so that, you know, only the people who deserve it, you know, like only the turkey vultures, you know, get pain. No, no, no. It's the innocent calf in the field eaten alive by the vultures. I mean, you know, it's just the strangest way that in this creation in which we live, there's so much innocent suffering. The ones that never deserve it, the ones that couldn't ask for it, they seem to bear more than their fair share of the pain and the and the suffering. Paul says that all of creation just groans like that, just groans. It, it just groans b- because something wonderful is to be born out of all of this. And according to Romans chapter 8, what is it? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. So what's everything waiting for? The day. I mean, the day when Christ comes back and makes everything right again. You understand? I mean, everything has gone absurdly wrong, and God knows that. And God is about to come and fix it all. He's going to restore everything to exactly where he intended it to be. It started out very good, and it's going to be very good again. This is the point. This is the large story of all of Scripture. It starts out in creation where God makes everything good. And then there's the fall that we created. We introduced the ruin, the rot, the corruption because of our sin. And then the rest of the Bible is the story of travail, the story of pain and suffering, all the way to the point where God himself comes down, becomes a creature, takes on flesh, And then he absorbs all of the pain and suffering for the entire cosmos. Do you see that? He takes it all upon himself so that because of Christ now, everything can be made new. This is why in the book of Colossians, it says that he's Lord of all. And when he comes to redeem everything, he's going to redeem everything. Everything gets set back right. Everything gets put back in its place. And the pain and suffering for all of creation is officially and eternally over. He's going to make everything new. He's going to make everything right. So now he says, for now, that this pain and suffering, there's a context for it. Honestly, when you suffer, you have to realize you haven't been singled out. There's always this feeling that when something goes wrong, it's like, why is this happening to me? Well, it's happening to you because sooner or later it happens to all of us. Whether it's cancer or bankruptcy or or divorce, death, I mean, whatever, it happens to all of us. It's, It's just a part of living in this fallen world. Things are off. Things are wrong. But Jesus promises he's going to come and make it all right again. Wipe away every tear. A new heaven and a new earth. All things, all things made new. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? So, in all of creation, the only creature that sins is us. 
interesting? The only creature in all of creation that simply refuses to be what God made it to be, it's, it, it, it's us. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that puts it this way. The Lord says, I will guide you in the, say the word, in the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like the senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Again, God is, is comparing us in, in this verse to the animal kingdom and says, listen, we understand that they're senseless. All you horse people, don't get mad at me. It's, it's the Bible. And we know that horses and mules are wonderful creatures, all of that, but still you are made higher. You, you were created over and, and you're worth more. And this is one of those verses that, that, that reminds you that you're not supposed to be like, like just an animal. The Lord says, I will guide you in the best pathway for your life. Do you understand? There's a God who made you and a God who made me. And this is the God who made everything. So you must understand, he knows how it all works. He understands it. He's the master of it. He knows creation in all of its intricacy and detail. God knows where every road leads. God knows the contents of every single human heart. God knows how he made you. God knows everything he put in you. God knows what's going to bring you to life. God knows exactly what's going to put that sparkle back in your eye. God knows. God knows. And so he says, I will guide you in the best pathway for your life. The best pathway. The Hebrew word for best pathway there, it means best pathway. The best. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In all of creation, everything else that God made, it just simply follows the path that God created it for. You understand? Birds fly. They sing. They build their nest. They lay their eggs. They raise their young. They don't ever try to be anything else. You know, you've never seen like a robin trying to identify as a chicken. It doesn't happen. Everything in all the creation just lives in the pathway that God sets out. And everything lives joyfully. Read the book of Job and all of those verses that talk about the joy of creation. How the giant whale plays in the ocean. I mean, there's this sense of delight and pleasure because everything that God has made just lives within the pathway that God created it for. My dog is just a dog every single day, and she's not reading self-help books, and she's not watching podcasts. She's not trying to figure out her Enneagram type, you know. She's not, you know, watching her figure. I mean, she's just a dog. She just sleeps, and she runs, and she chases other animals, and she poops on the rug, and she just does everything in the world that God made her to be, and she's completely happy. And if you never looked at your dog and thought, man, I'd like to have your life. I tell my dog that about twice a week. Man, it must be great to be you, you know. I'm heading off to work. She's doing that thing on her bed where she's like walking around, you know. And I know good enough, she's going to lay there all day long, you know. What, what's, what I got to do to get your life? Well, have you ever thought about it? Like what would it take for you to be able to just live at peace with who you are and what God made you for. I mean, what would it take for you just to be able to just live like that, free as a bird? I will guide you in the best pathway for your life. You know what your problem is? 
You just keep on thinking that you know better. That you know better. You just keep thinking that, yeah, maybe God's got a plan. And, and God created us and God set boundaries around our lives. Boundaries around our behavior. We can't do everything that it comes into our mind to do because we are aware of the fact that some of the things we're drawn to do are, are wrong or evil. And so we are commanded to walk in this path. We're really the only creature that has that ability to, to fathom another path. We're the only creature, it seems, that can actually make the mistake of thinking that maybe we made ourselves and maybe we can remake ourselves. Maybe I can find a better pathway for my life. Maybe I can ignore God and maybe I can become God. I mean, we're the only creatures that God ever made that are just absolutely that foolish. I will guide you in the best pathway for your life. This is God's promise to you. But let's be honest, most of us in this house right now, we're not living our best life. We're not walking on the best pathway for our lives. And the book of James says that for anybody who knows what is right and they don't do it, that's what you call sin. We're sinners. And our sin has great consequences for our lives. Now, I'm not saying that all of your pain and suffering is caused by your sin, but understand, we, we really do bring a lot of it on ourselves. I mean, I mean we just do. A, a whole lot of what goes wrong in our lives, we, we signed up for it. We make choices, and, and we know with one part, we, we know that it's wrong. We know we're heading in the wrong direction, but we just always tell ourselves that we'll somehow be the exception. We'll beat this thing. We're going to come out smelling like a rose, and it never works that way. God knows the best pathway. You will always, always choose a road that leads to ruin. There is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is destruction, Right? Our sin has effects in our lives, but also for the entire world. Everything is off now because you and I have gone off. And that's why when Jesus comes back, because of his death, because of his incredible power, the sacrifice of his blood on the cross, the way he took the suffering for all the sin of all of creation upon himself and purchased our redemption, the way he promises to come back and make all things new. Do you understand now everything, everything is taken up into that redemption. And God is truly making all things new. He's truly redeeming all things. And guess what? He's even started that already. I mean, there is a day coming where he will return and absolutely this world will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and he will set everything right all at once. But at the same time, that's sort of already breaking in. He's already started that work. He's taken this broken world and he's putting it back together one piece at a time, one life at a time. And I just want to announce to you that it's your turn. He's putting it back together, one piece, one life at a time, and it's your turn. He wants to do this in your life. He wants to put your life back together. Something's wrong. You know that it's wrong. You're not supposed to lay down in the bed at night and be so tormented by the thoughts inside your own head. You know something's wrong. You're not supposed to be 
in a relationship where you feel like you have to be a different kind of person just to keep her there. You know that something's off, something's wrong. You're not supposed to be afraid to walk down the hall and start a conversation with your own teenage daughter. Something's off, something's wrong. You're not supposed to be a slave to your habits, to to your lusts. You're not supposed to be a slave to your greed. You're not supposed to be so angry all the time. You're not supposed to be so hopeless and, and, and purposeless and joyless and powerless. Do you understand? God created you for something more. God created you for something better. And right now something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong is sin. And you've chosen it. It's the simple reason that you refuse to walk down the best pathway for your life. God says, I will advise you. I will watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. What's God saying? God says, stop being so stubborn. Stop being so senseless. Stop being stupid is what he's saying. I know the best pathway for your life. I will advise you, listen to me, God says. Listen to me. Let me watch over you. I will protect you. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be crippled by anxiety. You have a maker who knows you by name, knows everything about you, knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows things about you that you don't know about yourself, and he knows your sin. He knows your sin. Now, the fact that he knows your sin, that's like, well, you know, okay, now, well, I don't, now I don't want to face him. But, but you got to understand, he knows your sin. That's not a guarantee that he's going to condemn you. That just tells you that he knows what's broken and he knows how to fix it. You just got to bring the pieces to him. Y'all see what I did there? We start out talking about animal sin. I did the old switcheroo. Because animals don't sin, y'all. But you and I do. But Jesus came. He became one of us. He lived a life in creation. And he suffered. He suffered the same temptations, even though he never sinned. He suffered the same temptations. He suffered the same pains. And in the end, he took all of that suffering on the cross. He came back victorious. He rose from the dead in three days, you all. That's when it started. It's the firstborn in all creation, but also the firstborn from the dead. So now he is that new life, and he promises that new life for you and me. See, in, in all of creation, out of all of the species, all the animals that God has made, there's only... only one species that refused to live in those boundaries. Only one species that... That, that, that sinned for that reason is really only one creature in all of creation that needs to be saved. My friend, if you have never come back to your maker, if you've never really stopped and recognized that the path you're on is the wrong path and you need to change the road you're walking, if you've never really begun to understand that you have a God who knows the best pathway for your life, I'm just begging you. Now, there's still a whole lot wrong with this world, and and you're going to continue to have to live in a fallen world, and there will be pain and suffering even when you're following Jesus. But I'm telling you, 
There's something beautiful to be born on the other side of all of this pain and suffering. And that beautiful thing to be born is a, is a new life, a, a, a new creation, a, a new person. God can make you a new person. But you've got to be willing to come back to him. We call it being saved. We call it becoming a Christian. It, it, it's simple. It doesn't always make it easy, but it's simple. Most of us begin with some kind of prayer because it's a relationship with God and it's what's broken right now for you. So you just sort of start with words and there aren't any magic words. There's not like a prayer where you repeat it after me and then instantly, you know, magically. It's not like that. It's something that must happen in your heart. You've really got to recognize your sin. You've got to see that and acknowledge that, that there's something broken and wrong with you. Because if you don't understand what's broken, then you don't understand that Jesus alone can fix it got to recognize the brokenness, the sin. And then you've also got to want him. You've got to want Jesus and what he's going to do in your life. You've got to want him. You've got to be willing to change the path you're walking, to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. I mean, you've got you've to want this. But if you're ready and, and you want this, then I'm telling you, he's more than ready to start the recreating in you. You just have to call upon his name. It usually starts with a prayer. Encourage you to start today. In all of creation, the only thing that steps off the path is you and me. And Jesus is the only one who can get you back on the right path. Don't be stubborn. Don't be like a senseless animal. You're created higher. You're placed over. You're worth more. God loves you. Come back to him. Will you pray with me?